0: And they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. This is your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. If we believe that people are our most valuable asset and resource, why are so many organizations failing when it comes to embedding a people-centric talent development approach? You can't expect to build a high performance organization if your entire people strategy is focused only on the hiring side of the equation. We'll just find more people is not a solution that's sustainable over time. Unfortunately, we tend to find out about the importance of a development and coaching mindset when it's often too late. People often leave organizations because they don't see a growth path internally. In addition, they'll often complain that their managers don't really care about their growth or development. Uh, As a result, they disconnect from the work and the team and look for opportunities outside the organization. And that in and of itself is extremely damaging to organizations. That level of churn costs organizations up to 250% of an annual employee salary per instance of turnover. It's not sustainable. The future of work requires a fundamental rethinking of where we allocate effort when it comes to talent, for organizations to become elite, a shift from emphasizing talent attraction to emphasizing talent development needs to take place. And that's why we have Evan Shai, CEO of Coding Temple, on the show today to help map out a new vision for the future of work. What's Evan's story? Let me tell you a little bit about Evan. So he's a multi-time founder with a decade of experience starting, growing, and investing in organizations and taking them from zero to 10 million ARR. And those companies have primarily been in the health space, the future workspace, ed tech. And that was all after he decided to do the smart thing and leave a PhD program. I wasn't that smart. I actually followed all the way through. So he launched a corporate wellness program. He's raised millions in venture capital and he's been featured in Techstars, launched new markets. He's developed skills up and down the organizational stack. He's been deeply involved in product, sales, leadership, And he's a big fan of fostering growth mindsets within organizations. That's just scratching the surface of Evan's story. Evan, welcome to the show. My man, thank you so much for having
1: me and the generous introduction. I appreciate it.
0: Happy to have you on. And I think we're going to cover a lot of ground in this conversation. It's really tough to capture who you are and what you're about in four sentences in a bio. So I w- I'd like you to share with the listeners some of the key things that you feel are important for them to know and understand about you that's going to inform this conversation that we're going to have.
1: My journey has, has really come full circle. You touched on a number of things. I've been a lifelong entrepreneur, but I was actually on the other side of the table to where I now am at Coding Temple, where I was hiring Coding Temple graduates coming out of the program as I was trying to build technical teams in these fast moving startup organizations and notice always the high quality of folks coming out of the program and seeing them getting better and better every year as uh, more CS grads and IT professionals were looking for more hands-on immersive ways of accelerating their career. But all I remember thinking at the time, and I think it's something that a lot of employers obviously think about is how can I jump the line to secure top talent? coming out of of this particular program in our case. And a lot of emphasis and focus was placed on that acquisition part of the journey. And we were able to capture a lot of value there, but learned very quickly how important it was to develop and nurture and cultivate that talent on the other side of the acquisition or hiring part of the journey. So started spending an increasing amount of time on that front. And then ended up coming on board of Coding Temple in the beginning of 2020 to do a lot of things. But some of the core focus was on how do we build more robust solutions for employers to build a development culture internally?
0: There's a few things that come to mind when you described that little piece of your journey. Obviously, from the talent acquisition side, there's an almost ever-present gap in the marketplace where there's not enough technical talent for organizations to that organizations are able to find. I I think that's pretty obvious. So it, it makes sense that Coding Temple was able to fill that niche. The thing that I'm wondering about is you've had a track record throughout your career of helping high growth startups get to that $10 million mark. And when you go from zero to 10 million, that's your first major milestone. What are some of the common mistakes that you see in organizations of that size that offer broader lessons when it comes to development and retention that listeners need to be paying attention to
1: as you indicated, most of the teams I've been I've built have been let's call it up to fifty and then more broadly and, and some of the organizations end up getting let's call it two hundred employees so still that fifteen to two hundred employee mark and how I think about large organizations that we work with today is really just a, a collection of teams of that size and, and oftentimes growing from zero to whatever size in varying velocities. I think what a lot of organizations get wrong and understandably, particularly in that early part of the journey is not focusing on developing and creating a development culture early on. I think there still are a lot of learnings that come from these smaller teams that are applicable to the larger organizations. What I see consistently, particularly within smaller teams that are growing at high velocity, Is building a culture of of talent development is something that easily gets pushed aside as you're focusing on executing against your roadmap and really focusing on, on how you're delivering customer value and finding product market fit. All of which are critically important and absolutely essential to ensure you still have a team that you can invest in and have longevity long into the future. However, it's a lot easier to start implementing that culture and way of operating, that muscle, if you will, of valuing and investing in development post-hire early on versus trying to do it when it's a larger team and organization.
0: I like your argument about investing in this early on, and it takes me to a couple of mindsets that exist within The world of work today and this might be something that's coming out of the era of quote-unquote free money but one of the common statements is that what got you here won't get you there and i understand the leadership principle of it and Mm -hmm. the idea behind it is that you need certain types of people to work in certain types of organizations and then when it's time for you to get to the next stage of development as the next stage of your growth You need different sorts of people to come into those organizations. What I'd like you to do is talk a little bit about how that sort of thinking might not serve organizations well going into the future, because the implication there is that you can just rotate out talent whenever you need it based on what the business needs are, what the business growth development needs are. And that's not exactly smart in my book. So what's your take on it?
1: Yeah, I think that's an insightful point. And I think the reality is, although we've been able to do it, built a, maybe a bad habit or muscle over the past couple of decades, I think there are three critical factors that are converging that underscore the, the urgency of needing to establish both a reliable talent pipeline. There's still going to be a need for that to some degree, but also, and just as importantly, if not more importantly, an agile Development strategy and doing it now. I think those things, one of which you already touched on, is that there is an existing skills gap that is already bad. There are millions of unfilled tech jobs in the US. It's something we obviously interface with on a regular basis and work hard to address. But also with advances in technologies like AI, there are going to be more and more new jobs and not necessarily, certainly not proportional, number of people with the experience and training in executing those jobs. And then you have demographic shifts as well, where you have more people leaving the workforce than are entering it. So you have all of these things happening or creating a reality where it's making it imperative for leaders to look internally. And how can we have a grow your own type of strategy that allows us to think beyond just immediately filling vacancies and looking externally to do that, But how can we create a reliable pipeline of of growth-minded individuals that can continue to develop and contribute value to the organization? Just as importantly is how do we continue high-quality training that isn't just box-checking to ensure that they're contributing tomorrow and the next day and the next day? Because I think ultimately you're going to have to address the skills gap that is is coming and, and growing with your own talent. You talked
0: about growing your own as a critical tool in the arsenal that leaders need to be leveraging when they're thinking about their talent strategy. I want you to tie that together with what you believe to be the core responsibilities of a leader in an organization.
1: Ultimately, my role as an executive, and I think this is true of team leaders of varying sizes at various places in the organization, but it's ultimately to assemble and develop the best, possible team and then ensure that team has the resources, guidance or vision and autonomy to be successful. And I think in order to do that, and particularly in an environment that is changing as rapidly as we are all experiencing and seems to be only picking up velocity, we need to ensure that our folks are familiar with and have the ability to identify what skills they ultimately need to identify opportunity and create value in this changing landscape. That isn't something that can always just happen top down. You need to be able to empower your team, expose them to different skill sets, different technologies, and not just expose them to it, but ensure that they're developing a familiarity with it to where they can start to identify where are there opportunities for us to exploit or leverage this technology in a way that creates value for customers or solves problems for colleagues, again, creating value for the organization as a whole. But that implies actually developing those skills and doing it intentionally.
0: I want to take that a a step further. A lot of what we were talking about so far is specific to technical teams within organizations. When you're applying the grow your own philosophy to an entire enterprise, what are some of the ways that people leaders in general can create more of a matrixed environment that creates opportunities in different areas of the business for those folks to come into new functions, build new skills, be part of that innovation engine. What's your thought on that?
1: That's a great question. How we have thought about it, there are ultimately what we're trying to arrive at when it comes to skills in any vertical or specialization, particularly within the context of this conversation, is folks have job ready skills that they can actually use on the job at the end of it. If you think about this in terms of a capability spectrum and what we specialize in doing is taking someone from zero or maybe a little bit of of exposure to it to that job ready skills component. The reality is that there are increasing number of people within large organizations, a lot of light industrial organizations, manufacturing organizations, etc have large numbers of employees where it's pretty clear that there will be some displacement and changes in these jobs. And we want to provide adequate mobility for them to participate and contribute in the value creation for this organization in the future. So how we have thought about that is how do we create on-ramps to these technical roles in the future? And how you think about those on-ramps, of course, needs to be accessible and holistic and and relevant, given the population and experiences that population ultimately has. So for us, it could be a, a mobile application with highly accessible uh, learning experiences that are starting to tease and allowing the individual to self-identify as wanting to you know, go down particular career paths or technical training paths, which are a bit more intensive and immersive. So I think it's important to think about the entire learning experience as both politically accessible for a variety of populations within a large organization, but then also once a a pathway has been identified, really being able to provide high quality learning experiences that are truly resulting in job ready capabilities at the end of it. I think there's no shortage of content libraries out there that uh, are really good for the shelf esteem, but aren't necessarily moving people towards skills that they can use effectively on the job, which I think ultimately hurts both the individual and the company.
0: There's something that you said there that I think is worth expanding on. You mentioned the concept of an on-ramp, and in my mind, it, it triggered this thought, which is, There isn't a talent shortage. There's a shortage of access to opportunities. So when you're talking about these on-ramps into higher value positions within an organization, I think it's a really good thing. I think the headwind that or an HR leader might be thinking about that they would face is that when you look at technical organizations, there's an embedded belief at some level that if you don't have the pedigree, you don't Mm -hmm. belong in the room. What I'd like you to do is share with us a little bit about how that thinking isn't going to be serving us well when we think about the future of work and how members of the future workforce are going to be acquiring their skills to enter the
1: workforce. Fortunately, pretty soon, you're not going to have to because we're building up a body of evidence that demonstrates folks that haven't necessarily secured a computer science degree are able to be meaningful contributors in a technical organization. We see this over and over again. And really we see the spectrum of that. We see folks that have completed a CS degree and still decide to come to an immersive program like ours because the CS degree wasn't even applicable enough in particular roles. And we're seeing folks opting instead of going that way into this path. But more specific to this question is the folks that we are seeing who maybe chose a, a different career path earlier on in, in their life. and but still had the the baseline technical aptitude and the motivation to excel in whatever role that they ultimately went into. And those are some of the foundational criteria uh, or attributes that help someone be successful in a role. When you think about how or why someone is successful in a role, or maybe on the flip side, why someone isn't successful in a role, it's often not because of foundational technical abilities. It's because of interpersonal uh, capabilities, a uh, functional expertise of knowing how to leverage the skills that they do have to create value within the unique context of your organization. One of our programs called Tech Residency 360, it really started from us practicing what we preach internally with our own employees. We had a, an obvious gap on the product and programs leadership side of things, and We knew that we needed to bridge it and we had this untapped talent internally that didn't have the academic pedigree necessarily for that particular role, but did have a deep understanding of our customer and a deep understanding and solid grasp on our operating principles. So we launched an eight-week product development sprint where they were working on a real cross-functional team building real products, solving real problems for our customers. So not only did it fully mimic the technical and product environment that they were going to be working in, But it fully immersed them in the customer problem space and how we create value for that customer ultimately. And that now has translated into a handful of professionals inside our organization that are incredible at leading our product and and programs teams. We just had a a whole roadmap review yesterday and it was just incredible the, the transformation and development that has occurred. But you also have this these really committed individuals to the organization because of the investment that's been made in them ultimately. And I think these are the types of, of stories that we certainly are seeing firsthand, but I think organizations are gonna be experiencing as the need to tap into internal resources continues to increase, so long as we are making those investments in ways that aren't just box checking. They are truly investments and in development of skills that are going to be applicable and deployed in a, in a real world scenario ultimately. Uh, so it requires real investment, but it is investment that, again, is, is gonna be required to be competitive in tomorrow's landscape. Wow,
0: it's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact Community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you, This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community, get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. And now, back to the show. We're taking the HR Impact Show on the road. As a loyal listener to the HR Impact Show, we'd like to invite you to join us live at the 2024 Transform Conference at the Wind Resort in Las Vegas from March 11th through the 13th. Transform brings together people-driven leaders, investors, and innovators across industries and backgrounds with a shared passion for people, innovation, and transforming the world of work. The 2024 Transform Conference is gonna be the best yet. Here's what you can expect innovative showcases, probing conversations, hands-on learning experiences, 300 plus speakers and more. Join us and let's shape the future world of work together. We spent a lot of time talking about providing on-ramps and access to opportunities, both from external candidates coming into the organization and more importantly, the candidates that you have in the organization that might be viable for other positions within the organization. How should you be thinking about your learning and development, your continuous learning habits internally to best prepare for those opportunities? What should people leaders have in mind when they're thinking about, do I have the foundation internally to support this sort of initiative?
1: I hesitate to give broader advice without knowing the kind of specifics of the organization, but what I can say generally, If the goal is to get ahead or stay ahead in a a competitive market, it's going to increasingly require organizations to continuously adopt and leverage advanced technologies to create customer value. And I'm I'm thinking about advanced technologies because that's the kind of vertical uh, that we focus on. So we are operating in a space that is going to require these organizations to continue to be able to leverage these technologies to create enterprise value ultimately. So what that inherently means in terms of how we should be thinking holistically about our development strategy is that we, one, need to be able to identify what the right skills are as the right skills unfold in front of us. We have to recognize that this is a, a roadmap and a timeline that is truly unfolding in front of us in a lot of ways. So it's going to imply a certain amount of the agility that's required. Two is ensuring that you have training solutions that develop job ready skills versus just a, a completion certificate ultimately in, in terms of the learning experience. And then finally is ensuring that you have an environment that supports the development of these skills. So meaning the time and the resources to actually dedicate to, uh, you know, the actual learning experience specifically. So again, the identification of the right skills, developing skills that are truly job ready and can be deployed uh, on a daily basis. And then three is a working environment that's actually supportive of being able to spend the time and resources to, to learn those skills. That is the holistic view or the dimensions that we have to optimize for in creating a culture of uh, learning and development culture internally. And how you go about doing that, I think, is there, there's a couple ways. I think one, need to be willing to leverage external partners who have specialization in any particular skill. We, we've seen a number of situations where relying on internal L&D resources, especially for particular technical paths, can oftentimes end up not being exactly what is needed for that technical team. So a- external teams that you can truly hold, accountable to delivering business value and, and three, ensuring that those learning experiences are adaptable to both the individual learner needs, as you've articulated in terms of the, the diversity of expertise and starting points, if you will, within the organization, but also the evolving skill needs of the organization, which is only increasing. So I those are the, the holistic view of how I would be thinking about what I'm trying to optimize for. And there are, those are some tactical things I would be looking for in either partnerships or if I was building teams internally to service the need for a continuous development culture.
0: I want to drill in a little bit more on the tactical side on this. Part of the issue that a lot of organizations have is identifying those people that might be fits for any sort of development program internally, but especially the technical ones. I I want you to think in terms of what you would say to that line level manager that's supporting a team. What do those conversations need to look like with your direct reports so that you as the manager can identify somebody that might be a fit for a program internally that's designed to shepherd them into another silo or in a technical field?
1: That's a great question. There's no doubt that, Reskilling initiatives with all the incredible intent and opportunity can certainly come with some complexity and challenges of moving people around the organization and identifying who that is and ensuring it's a seamless transition. What we have always started with and, and it's been an effective strategy thus far is through a, a wider exposure of the kind of like initial on-ramp, if you will, that allows us to start to, both the individuals, to self-select as they're going through the process and developing a certain amount of aptitude for the particular skill that we're trying to train them for. And then you can start to identify the a smaller subsegment of, of individuals who is best positioned to, to make a transition or to lean into the more intense training and who is most motivated to do that. And then, in, of course, always the direct manager and anyone else involved or influenced by the decision would be incorporated in that conversation as well. It can vary significantly in terms of how many people are are part of that conversation and how long it's required, but it's been relatively seamless so far in organizations that we've worked with upwards of 30,000 employees. Where a lot of value comes from and a lot of that work that we're talking about comes from the kind of self-selection identification process and a bi-directional conversation that can be had to start to really identify who the people are.
0: One of the things that I think is important for us to call out is that last portion of what you said, it's gotta be a two-way conversation. What often happens when you look at organizations that have a retention problem, they have a retention problem because they're not really communicating the broader opportunities that exist within the organization on a regular basis. And at the line level, You're not spending enough time understanding what's important to the person sitting across from you in terms of their vision for themselves. So if we're talking about how do we build a learning culture, how do we identify potential talent within our organizations that have the capability, the want to, the initiative to be involved in this, you have to ask the question. And it's your job as the manager to connect the dots between that individual's personal professional mission and vision and what's available within the organization. Because if you don't have those conversations, those folks are gonna end up leaving and you're gonna deal with another set of problems that are gonna be unpleasant. Real good stuff, Evan. And we covered a lot of ground in terms of how you should be thinking about development and retention within the organization, how to build a continuous learning culture and what resources and foundational elements need to be established. When you think about the entire arc of this conversation that we've had, what are the two or three most important things that listeners need to have in mind when they're looking at making these things real within their organization?
1: The obvious place to start first would be doing a a skills analysis with respect to the strategic roadmap of the organization. And that starts to elucidate a number of things in terms of what the particular skill gaps ultimately are and where are the pools of talent, hopefully internally, or to what degree do do you need to look externally in order to bridge those gaps? And then who are the best, either internal resources or external resources you can leverage as partners to shepherd that transition? Depending on what those particular skills are, I think a particular emphasis should be on focusing on teams or experts that have specialization in that particular skill set, because it's ultimately going to allow you to ensure that these skills are up to industry standards, industry requirements that the learning is practical and up-to-date and immediately applicable, which I think is is critically important for the ultimately capture the value of the the training experience. So those are a couple of things I'd be thinking about. If people want to
0: continue the conversation, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you, Evan?
1: Yep. Yeah, so active on LinkedIn,
0: Evan Shai, obviously. So I appreciate you hanging out with us. When I think about this conversation that we've had, there's a couple of things that I I want to highlight. And The overarching comment that I have is that your role as a leader within an organization should be centered on how you're convincing your people to stay every single day. Part of that exercise needs to include how you're connecting the vision of the organization, the direction of the organization, to the vision and direction of that individual that's sitting across from you. Every employee within your organization has things that they want to accomplish, but if you as the leader and if you as the manager aren't connecting those aspirations to real opportunities and providing on-ramps to those opportunities within your organization, you're at high risk of having that employee leave. And they're not gonna leave because they're angry with you. They're gonna leave because they think you don't care. So when you're looking at building a workforce that is future-proofed, a workforce that has the the job-ready skills, as you mentioned, to take on some of the most innovative skills and technologies that are there. It's your job as a leader to first understand what's important to the employees across from you and then connect them to the opportunities that's going to get them closer to the vision that they have for themselves. I appreciate you sharing your input with us and hanging out with us. For those of you who have listened to the conversation, we appreciate you hanging out. Make sure you leave us a review. Be sure to join the HR Impact community. You can find that at co/hrimpact. And then tune in next time where we'll have another leader joining us and sharing with us the game-changing insights that help them build a high-performance team.